what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Mesh ads are a great way to reach a targeted audience at a low cost. Visit www.themesh.tv slash advertise or send an email to info at themesh.tv for more information. Very low cost, reach a great audience, and grow your business through Mesh ads. Hello, this is Chris from the Foot Candle Film Podcast. That's the film review and discussion show that can be found right here on The Mesh. Be sure to check out the show and all the others by visiting themesh.tv. and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh, make you learn, and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina. I want to thank our listeners for joining us this morning and find us on TheMesh.tv along with all your other favorite podcasts from The Mesh. Uh, we're available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check us out, and uh, we, we thank you for joining us today. I'm really honored to have this next guest, this young man. I've been following his career from probably the beginning uh, as, as a uh, young golf professional. I got the opportunity to meet this gentleman at, um, at a function at Clemson University. He was one of about 45 PGM students there in the program at the time. Uh, I got to come down and present to the, uh, to the student body, uh, along with a distinguished panel of golf professionals about the industry and about teaching golf. And uh, this young gentleman was one of about 45 that raised his hand when we said, how many of you potentially want to teach golf for a living when you graduate with a degree in, in professional golf management. And this young man raised his hand. So it, it kindred a relationship right from the beginning. Uh, his passion for teaching is unparalleled. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Robbie Fails. Good morning, Robbie. How are you? Morning, morning, Alan. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. Well, Robbie, it's my pleasure, my friend. You know, I've been a, 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 a kind of a fan of yours from day one when we first met down in Clemson uh, I was I was really interested in your passion you have really grown into quite an amazing uh, golf instructor and coach and you've had some great opportunities in a very short career compared to some of us older guys that have been out there for a little <laughs> yes. over 20 years but uh, it's amazing to me you know what you've accomplished and I'm so proud of you and uh, glad you joined us this morning so we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about and catch up absolutely yeah it's it's been a little too long so it's it's good to hear your voice <laughs> well thanks man same here and so you're at home today i know we've had a lot of rain here in the carolinas and you're over in charlotte teaching with um, our good friend jason sutton at carmel golf academy there at the carmel country club and uh, we were just discussing before we went on here about how much rain we've had and how fun we uh, you know, have, have to jump indoors and learn some new ways to coach our players and teach on simulators and things like that this time of year. But uh, you've got a really cool situation in, in, in your apartment facility where you can go indoors and teach on yeah. a phenomenal simulator with TrackMan or whatever technology you take in there. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you do with your players today. So let's get into that conversation. Yeah. You, you have impressed me just, number one, as a student of the game, Robbie. You are the quintessential student of the game, and that's why I think you're so, um, 
so uh, talented, and you, you constantly are in search of, of new information and, and knowledge. And uh, I, I think that's a really great way to take take the uh, career on from the beginning. And uh, so you've been on a big journey. So tell us, you know, when you get indoors uh, in the wintertime, what are some things you're seeing with your students? What do you think about that indoor learning environment? And just share your ideas a little bit with us this morning. You know, it's interesting. I think my um, my views on indoor practice have changed, I think, over the years. I, I think early on, um, you know, I, I I always was, you know, you, you hear – um, certainly as a golfer growing up that, Oh, you got to get your reps in, you got to get your reps in. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like indoors was a great way to just get in reps. And then as I started to learn a little bit more, you start to learn, Oh, well, you know, the environment has a lot to do with, um, your ability to learn whatever it is you're trying to learn. So then for a while I was like, Oh, like, you know, indoors, (laughs) you can't really get much done indoors. It doesn't look or feel like a golf course. Um, you know, there's, it's, you know, and and I pretty much dismissed it. And then really more recently, I've, I've been delving a lot more into like the neuroscience part of it. And what I've kind of come to the conclusion of is that as long as you're able to portray a concept and get across a point to a golfer, I think you can make a lasting change. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the environment might not be perfect and we can get into all the environment stuff because I, be- I'm a huge believer in the power of the environment, but I think the golfers concepts and what they're trying to do and what's going on in their brain has the biggest effect on, um, you know, the eventual forces and torques that they apply to the ground in the golf club. So I think if, if, if I can get a club in their hand and a ball on the ground, and if I can speak with them, I think that we can make a lasting change. So now I'm fine with indoors. You know, a right. lot of times you can you can even do things, you know, into a blank screen uh, to make practice more effective. Um, it doesn't just have to be machine gun rapid fire hitting. You can you can still get some good, effective practice indoors. And uh, our mutual friend, Sean Kennedy, which I, I listened mm-hmm. to his show on the podcast, he talked about. Um, training movements in the gym being a really good way to go about things. And that's, I, I didn't understand, I didn't understand it at the time when he told me that, but then the more I've kind of learned, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, if you want to introduce a concept, if you want to really get the person to, to understand what they're trying to do, then a gym might not be a bad place to do that because you're stripping away all the contextual interference of a golf shot, a golf score, and you're getting them totally in immersed in that process of what you're trying to get them to do. Right. So important, isn't it? I think with with the simple uh, 1.68 inch diameter object in the way of progress, sometimes that golf ball <laughs> yes. is is what dominates the player's mind and, and hit, like it you is. said, hitting a golf shot, and they have no contextual idea of what the movement pattern of their body of the club you know, need to be to accomplish a great golf shot sometimes until we can get their concepts better understood. Yes. Our, our friend John Sinclair came up with a great quote. He said, the subconscious is a pleaser. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really, that's, that's really stuck with me a while when it, when mm-hmm. it comes to, um, you know, how to get around that little white round object in front mm-hmm. of them is that, you know, you just got to make them aware that, you know, Hey, that your subconscious is a pleaser. It wants to see, it wants to feel the sound um, 
of great impact and see the ball fly high and far towards your target. But Hey, mm-hmm. that's kind of the effect, right? You know, the process is really what we can control to make that happen. Yeah. I agree with that. My dad had a saying, you can't do better until you know better. And yes. I think that applies as well from a country kind of a redneck background that I come from, you know, we, we think of things as simply as possible when we can, and that's really it. You know, we're trying to teach our golfers what it is they're trying to do and more specific detail does tend to, tend to help them execute, you know, movement change. So that's to me a really good place to do it too is, is indoors and, you know, strip the ball away from them uh, and mm-hmm. give them some things that will be, you know, certainly more, more effective. So, when you're indoors, you, you use a simulator. Uh, is it? Um, are you using TrackMan? Is that the technology that you use as your launch monitor? Yeah. the uh, The first time I taught, I brought the, some of my um, Carmel members uh, to my apartment building. I didn't have TrackMan. I just used the simulator, and uh, it, it became pretty apparent that the accuracy of the ball flight was not quite up to up to par. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it became really distracting. Like, you know, I had a golfer who, you know, we're, we're trying to learn how to not hook it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he hits it, uh, he starts it right of target, which he does every time. Thank, thank gosh. But, yeah. um, and on the simulator it showed a push cut huh. and I've never seen him push cut a single ball <clears throat> in his entire life. Yeah. And he was like, and looking at the golf swing, that thing did, I mean, there's no way that would push cut. And I could, like I kind of expected him to um, kind of disregard that, but I could tell that he was, it was really bothering him. He was trying to make changes that we had never even really talked about. Sure. I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Remember a couple of balls ago. All right. Are you, are you trying to respond to that shot? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm like, hold on. So I, I ended up having to turn it off. Yeah. Uh, and so we just hit into a blank net. But then the next time I ended up bringing TrackMan and, and Jason brought uh, the time after that, he brought TrackMan 4 and he brought his little projector. So we were able to shoot the ball flight onto the screen to make it pretty yeah. good. Well, that's good. Yeah. The technology can really steer a person in the wrong direction if it's given them some bad information. And yeah. unfortunately, some technologies are a little suspect in that regard. And, and you know, I've found some intricacies with what I'm using in an indoor environment, kind of similar to what you mentioned. You know, there's going to be an occasional uh, outlier there. You kind of say, well, let's yeah. toss that one aside. I don't think that was an extremely accurate measuring of what what actually occurred. So, you know, you're dealing with that anytime you have um, some of the lower-end technology. Um, but there are definitely some ways to get around that. Um, I play a lot of games with my players indoors when, when they come in. You know, I have a couple of little games. You've probably heard me talk about them, but – what do you do to get a player warmed up? What is the first 10 minutes of a typical lesson like for you? Mm. What are some things you do to kind of, hey, welcome to the, you know, welcome to my my world here? And what do you get them yep. to do to warm up? So typically, uh, you know, especially if, um, if I hadn't seen a player ever before, I'll actually, again, credit Sean Kennedy with this. I'll actually run them through a physical screen but they don't know that it's a physical screen. Mm-hmm. It's actually a test. Mm-hmm. So they're, they'll take an orange whip and they'll go through um, basically a, a, a regiment of different functional mobility uh, movements. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk to them about how, you know, when you're trying to prepare muscles to exert force, you don't want to stretch the muscle. You just want to prime it. So I like 
I like kind of always bouncing in and out of the movement instead of trying to just static stretch, touch your toes and hold, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's not good. Cause actually what that's doing is that's, that's tearing, mm-hmm. right? We actually just need to, to essentially loosen the muscle a little bit and just prime it for whatever we we're trying to do. So I like dynamic stretching. I like some of the orange whip protocols. Um, you know, if, if I've done my homework and we've done TPI screens to start off a lesson, then, um, you know, they'll have a couple specific exercises they might do, but, uh, I try to get them out of the idea that by warming up, you're just going to hit wedge shots because <laughs> yeah. then, you know, it's, it's not really, it's not really doing anybody any good. And a lot of times first couple of shots are kind of squirrely anyway. So it's not, right. it's not really a great way to warm up. Yeah. So it's mostly for you as an observation tool, you're kind of getting an awareness of what this player can and can't do functionally yes. with their body kind of assessing or just that seeing how they're moving. Yeah. Or just, just seeing general. how they're moving that day. Yeah. yeah. And that might lead you to ask some questions. Hey, tell me about any surgeries that you may have experienced in the last 10 or 15 years of your life. And are you hurting anywhere? Yes. You know, what's going on and you know, what, what's the average student for you these days? Are you working with a lot of adults or is it a mixture or tell me kind of who you it's, see? It's the, yeah, it's definitely a mixture. I would say uh, recently I've, I've began to, um, go more towards kind of the high school, middle school age junior golfer, mm-hmm. um, who has interests in, you know, playing for their high school team, mm-hmm. um, or maybe playing in college one day, but you know, it's a mixture. I, I, my, my youngest student is I think five or six. Okay. Um, and the oldest one I see would be 80, I think. Yeah. Pretty broad range so for sure. It's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty big range. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, with these students that you're seeing, are you um, are you tracking their progress in any specific ways, or some things that you use in terms of hey, let's monitor where you are? Uh, I refer yes. to it as kind of the you know we're going to have to put you on a. Um, a limbo measuring system and see where the right. stick is or where you bump your head. You know, we're trying to figure out with all aspects of their game, their skills. Uh, well, yes. how, how are some things that you do that uh, are working to monitor students' progress? So early in my coaching career, I used to just ask players to keep stats, like when they go out to play. Um, and what I found is that a lot of times – what a golfer is seeing me for might not always be to shoot the lowest score. Right. Like sometimes they just want to see, and they just want to feel really good impact and they want to, they just want to hit it better. Mm -hmm. They maybe not necessarily always want to score better. So like in the interview, when I first see a student for the first time, I'm trying to get as good of a gauge as I can as why they're there to see me. Um, And so then based off of the answer they give me, then we'll, try to agree upon a goal that closely coincides with that why statement. Mm-hmm. So like I had, a, I had a, um, a student come to me just, and he came down to the, uh, the learning center and just started making full swings. And so when we started having a conversation, like really, why are you here? He wanted to score better. And then when I asked him, well, what do your good rounds look like? What do your poor rounds look like? And what's the difference between the two? A lot of times he said, well, it's like, if I could just not miss the green inside 40 yards, I think I would cut my, I think I would get where I need to go. And so I was looking and I was like, okay, so we're making full swings, (laughs) but we can't hit a green inside 40 yards. Right. So 
what we did is we immediately put the clubs in the bag. We went up to the short game area and I gave him a test. So I basically said, okay, let's, let's say we miss all 18 greens. Mm -hmm. So I took 18 balls and I literally, um, shotgun them all around the green. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to say, okay, how many do you get on the green? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think his first number was probably like, I mean, the, the short game technique is just all the bad stuff. So, I mean, his, his, his uh, first number was like four yeah. or five, I think. Yeah. And so when he goes out to play, he's keeping one stat. That's when you're inside 40 yards, do you hit the green or do you miss the green? Right. It's great. So, it's a simple benchmark, but that, that's something that will give him some monitoring and, and some success, exactly. hopefully, early on in a way to, to see that you're helping him. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think it goes, it goes a little deeper into that, too, is because – you have to get people to understand that if you're trying to work on everything, it's really hard to, to focus on one thing. Yeah, exactly. So I'll ask them, I'll say, okay, we have golf has five sports. You have driving approach, short game, uh, bunkers and putting, which Mm -hmm. one do you feel like you need to focus on? And then we'll based off what they say, what their skill level is, we'll create a test for that sport mm-hmm. or for that skill. Mm-hmm. And then that's what we focus on. Sure. Um, and hopefully if it's a long-term student, like uh, for we do like an unlimited package to where they're coming to see us as many times as they want for like three, six or 12 months, I'm watching them play on the first session. So we'll book like two to four hours. I'm watching them play. And so then we both can agree on, okay, this is the thing that you need to focus on. Sure. And then we focus on that. What's Instead the low hanging fruit? Yep. Exactly. It's like, oh, what do you want to do today? Do you want to hit balls? Do you want to <laughs> chip? Do you want to putt? It's just not. It's not as productive. Yeah. I found. It doesn't need to be random getting... like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. It just shows you know how advanced you are as a coach and teacher, and and how comforting that must be for a student to come to your to your world and go, finally, somebody's going to help me find the direction <laughs> I need, you know, to, yes. to kind of settle down and to move forward, you know, and that's really what we are. I think a lot of times is we're yeah. just organizers of information and when we deliver what needs to be delivered is really a big part of our skill, right. you know? So, um, yeah, so that's, that's our skill. I think really as coaches is, is being a, um, an organizer of this person's priorities sometimes. And they don't, you know, they don't see themselves the way we do. They see a different view of themselves. And and that's a perspective, you know, that we have that helps guide them. You know, I think that's great. So, you know, we talked about practice and, and indoor practice. And I know for me, a lot of golfers come to me and that's one of the things we're trying to organize is their practice. We want their practice to be as productive for their Yes. goals as possible uh, after we help define those goals you know what needs to happen for this individual golfer and so how often is it that you structure these practices much better for these players and what are some things that you do that help them structure their practice more effectively that's a, that's a great question um, I would say that every lesson I give ends up with being supervised practice mm-hmm. um, if I've done my job correctly now if I've if I've if I'm not on the ball and I'm not able to, to get them to where I need them to be, then, you know, we might not get there, but hopefully if I've done my job well, then they know what they need to do to solve the problem. And then I'm teaching them and coaching them how to practice in order to actually change um, and retain and transfer that skill that we've learned. So um, for instance, I would say 
you know, just looking at what a, a lesson might look like. Uh, Guffer comes in struggling with a shank um, interview. That's that's our goal. That's our focus. That's what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I'm I'm measuring, I'm testing, figuring out what they can do with their body, how the club's moving, how their body's moving. Um, you know, I'm evaluating that, and then I'll coach them in whatever it is we decide to do to fix a shank. If we're able to solve that a couple times in a row, then we're saying, okay, well, it's not enough to just get reps because muscle memory isn't a thing. Yeah, It's more of cognitively, you know, in terms of your brain, how can we, how can we strengthen this program? How can we take those myelin sheaths and coat them over this movement pattern? So what we'll do is we'll actually introduce um, what the guys at game like training call spacing mm-hmm. variability and optimal challenge point. Yep. So this could be literally something as simple as, okay, every five balls, I need you to change clubs, just mm-hmm. introduce some variability into the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, spacing could be okay. After each shot, I want you to go through your pre-shot routine. I want you to put the club back in the bag. I want you to pick a different club and I want you to go through your pre-shot routine to create a little bit more space in between shots. Yeah, it's time, um, isn't it? It's just adding time. It's adding time, yeah. yeah. And then the last one would be challenge where you're actually um, implementing a consequence into what shot they're trying to hit, which when you look at the retention and transfer part, that's the transfer element is that if we don't practice with consequences, it's not going to transfer to when there's consequences. Right. So, um, yeah, variability, which is just, again, you're, you're not like, uh, Ian Highfield will say in his seminars, what's five plus five. And then the the audience will say 10. Say, great. What's five plus five, 10. What's five plus five. And he's like, do you see how if this was a math lesson, this would be a little redundant? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's, 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 it's just getting the adaptability piece, I think, is what the variability is. Mm-hmm. And then the time is, is something that I think um, I, has been one of the most helpful things because um, ingraining, or I shouldn't say ingraining, I should say um, encoding a new motor pattern is not about uh, repeating it. It's about actually forgetting it and recalling it. So if you can give, if you can give the player the opportunity to almost forget what it felt like Mm -hmm. and forget what they told themselves to do to make the movement happen, but force them to have to recall that, Mm -hmm. then you're building that, that retention piece. That's right. Um, so spacing variability challenge is what I try to um, implement. And then usually if they're able to go through all of my spacing variability challenge on the range, um, then we'll jump straight out into the golf course. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the ultimate test of, okay, you have, um, you have spacing, which obviously you're hitting one shot and you're walking to the next. So you have mm-hmm. spacing between you have variability because your ball's in a different location every time you hit it. Yep. <laughs> and you have the challenge of, Oh, like, okay, this is a par four you know, I want to shoot a score. So you mm-hmm. have the consequences piece. So ultimately the best lesson will end on the golf course. 
Yeah. But even before hearing about those concepts described in that way, I, I was doing that a lot just subconsciously. I knew the game was different than driving range practice, and I was taking golfers more to the course, trying to create those aspects because I knew that as a player has an ability to hit a golf shot, um, standing there on that driving range one after the other, that skill that they were developing wasn't going to allow them to be good on the golf course. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to allow them to be good in competition. It was, you know, it was almost like the feeling of a good golf shot, it, it evaporates. I mean, it's gone. After you hit it, it has a lifespan that's very short, and yes. that's why the spacing is such an important thing to put into to practice because when you play golf, you will have to hit shots that space in time, six, yes. eight minutes apart. And it's, and it's yep. adaptability to that individual situation. It's making decisions, some consciously, some unconsciously, about the lie, the wind, the elevation, right. the club selection, all those things. And so golfers don't practice that mental uh, – you know, drill when they're standing on the range with a seven iron going bang, 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 bang as fast as they can. And that's what I see golfers doing across the board Mm -hmm. in our game. And like you said, it's the environment. It's the driving range that doesn't give the player the variability. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a few flags out there, but there's not much else to to create variability or spacing when there's a pile of beautiful tideless balls laying there and they're all clean and ready to go and you got that perfect lie and you bring that ball out of that pile and you cush it up on a perfect lie and you stripe a seven iron yeah that's gratifying but is it creating skill and our answer today is not much (laughs) not much much, you know so And guilty are those that feel that ball beating and reps is what takes them there. You know, and the analogy is simple. Hey, can you as a human take a ballpoint pen and sign your name 12 times in a row exactly the same? Well, if you can't do that with a ballpoint pen, are you ever going to be able to absolutely repeat a golf swing with a a golf club that weighs a lot more than about, you know, close to a pound, a lot more than a ballpoint pen using a lot more moving joints and muscle activity. It's not a, it's not a human skill to repeat something so precisely. And do we want to, because no, we play a game in a variable environment. So, I mean, you and I could go on and on for days about this. And I know you are passionate about keeping golfers from falling into that weak discipline mind you know, yeah. trap of the environment. And that's, that's it. Absolutely. And um, just a couple of points off that. One thing that I'll oftentimes um, ask a golfer is like, okay, well, you know, let's say that you have a par five where you hit driver, you've got a par three right afterward. Let's say you have a short par four that, you know, you, you can't hit driver on. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, how much time, in between, do you actually hit two drives in a row? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it could be a long time. Right <laughs> between it could between be forty-five minutes between yes. driver swings, forty-five yeah. minutes maybe or more. Yep. 
Uh, and, you know, certain golf courses, somebody, somebody as long as you with driver, you might not pull driver out of your bag, but twice for a round of golf. I mean, it's right. <laughs> possible, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's a great thing to understand. And that certainly is, has helped my players, I think, get more out of their practice. And we talk about purposeful practice and, and quality practice and, yes. you know, variable practice and competitive practice as opposed to just block practice. But it, there is a place for block practice, I think, yes. but it's small. It's certainly a smaller percentage than most golfers uh, are using it. So at least in my theories and, and yours as well, it seems like. So helping them practice, that's going to get better results and, uh, and move them towards the end result, which is, you know, whatever it is they want to do, hitting the ball more solid. We can develop skills to help their ball striking and just hit it more solid. Um, you know, hit more greens from a particular yardage or, you know, you know avoid three putting. Maybe that's a common issue. Uh, how much putting instruction are you doing these days? I know with Jason there in your back door and he's got you yeah. know, a tremendous reputation as a putting coach. Are you stepping Absolutely. into those territories with your players a lot or what, what are your thoughts about Absolutely. the putting world? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm doing more and more putting. Um, I think early on in my coaching, I just, I, I, I felt frustrated with my putting instruction because it's such a, it's, I'm struggling to find the words to describe it. It's just, I guess fickle would be a way to put it. It's just like, you know, you could, you know, if, if, if we knew all the things that had to go right for a putt to go in, we'd yeah. be amazed that putts ever go in. Right. Um, I, I agree with that statement. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, you know, early on, I thought, you know, how hard is it to roll a ball across the surface? You know, if if you can, if you can get the general direction of of prediction of break, right. um, You know, if, if you, you kind of know how to speed things up, slow things down, like, you know, I can test you a little bit, but there's not much I can do to really help your putting. Um, And really going to Carmel and, and watching Jason's putting instruction completely, turn my tune around on that. I mean, it's amazing. Some of the things he does with players on the green. Right. Um, so now I'm, I'm doing a lot more testing on Sam putt lab. I'm doing a lot more, um, you know, diagnostic kind of speed control tests, outdoors, uh, green reading tests. Um, and then just trying to really personalize the approach for each golfer to get them to putt better. Yeah. I'm not the best. I'm not the putting coach that I want to be yet. Sure. I think it's something that I'm I'm trying to get better at, but um, I can say without a doubt, I'm a thousand percent better putting coach than than I was before Jason. There's no doubt about that. Well, I would agree with that statement, too. and I would think Jason would and even yourself. I mean, you you well, taught me a lot about just coaching coaching putting, right? Just yeah. sim- really simple ways to get points across to people that I still use to this day. Well, that's good. I um, think that's it. We're all. We're all not the putting putting coach that we aspire to be, and that's why we're down this rabbit hole trying to become better. And that's why we're, I think, helping players because we are we're looking for answers daily. And uh, you're right, though, with putting, it's a very difficult thing to measure, you know, improvement uh, because yeah. making more putts is the barometer for improvement. And that's not always within our control as a golfer. You know, it's it's so many other variables, as you mentioned. I know when I got uh, a little mechanical device many, many years ago, Dave Pells 
was kind enough to give it to me, and I feel honored that he did, but he saw my passion for studying putting. He said, hey, young man, if you want to learn about putting, you need to have one of these things, and here you can have this one. And it was a, it was a, a perfect putter before the perfect putter existed. Uh, it was his true roller. It was a big ramp, right? The same kind of idea. And I remember using that thing early on and rolling a brand new box of Titleist balls down this thing and watching the ball behave as it rolled across the green. And it fascinated me to see that I could roll a brand new ball over and over and over again down the same mechanical ramp, and the ball would actually do different things on the green and disperse in different ways as as it encountered the natural surface of the ground. And I was like... Well, that that's so interesting. Maddening. It's like what it's so maddening, isn't it? It's, it's like just, what am I supposed to do to help a I player? Know. I even I was at Leatherman Golf Learning Center early in my career, you know, using this thing one afternoon, and I had it set up to roll a ball perfectly on a line directly into the hole, and I was just rolling ball after ball, one after the other across the green on a ten foot putt, and they were just dropping in like like money. And this guy walks up to me and he says, what, hey, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm just studying the green, trying to understand some things about break and, and speed and relationship speed and line. And he said, well, that's pretty cool. He said, uh, and we talked for about 10 minutes, and the sun actually went behind a cloud during this conversation. And as soon as our conversation ended, the guy walked off, and I went back to rolling balls. Well, guess what? The balls weren't going in the hole anymore. They were missing high and going way past the hole. And I thought, what in the world has just happened here? I didn't move the ramp. I didn't change anything. Nobody moved the ramp. I was standing right beside it during our conversation. and, And it was like, what changed? Well, the only thing I could come up with was the fact that the sun had gone behind the clouds. And my guess is, what did the grass do? Did it lay down versus stand up? I don't know. So I'm really, I'm still miffed at what happened. But I rolled the ball off of the same spot of the ramp. It should have had the same velocity that it always had, but it rolled farther and missed high. So basically the grass, I'm assuming, laid down and created kind of a grain-like, you know, increasing the speed of this ball. I guess um, without changing the speed of the ball, it went farther. So I, I only thing I think of was the the grass moved when the sun went behind the cloud. So there's a variable I don't know that we'll ever be able to measure yeah. or control. And you know, it's the way it is. Maybe the Earth rotated to a another place, and the <laughs> gravitational pull was different. I have no idea, but it was it was a miffer to me. You know, so we're helping golfers best we can. You know, yeah. You know, with that, with that being said, Robbie, we've had a great conversation and there's just so much more to talk about and so much more to share. What what is we're wrapping up today's show? What can you share with golfers that can make the biggest difference? I know you've had a lot of experience now in the last few years. You've been you've been that that young, hungry golf professional, you know, getting great information from a lot of great seminars and certifications that you've participated in. I know you just recently went to, uh, I think it was Mark Grace's place and did a certification yes. with Dr. Kwan on uh, golf yes. biomechanics. And, you know, what are some things that you as a coach going down the rabbit hole, as I say, 
can share with the average golfer that's going to get them moving in 2020 with their golf game? What are some things they need to be doing? Hmm. I would say, golly. Are, are they putting the wrong, the typical golfer, you know, they're putting the wrong force on the golf club at the wrong time? What do you see as the, just the everyday, I'm talking about the same thing every day to these golfers. <laughs> what would that one thing be right now? I would, I would say, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. It's just like, it's different with everyone or is it? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you are, if you're serious about getting better, do your homework to find the best coach in your area that you can find. And, and, you know, you, you might not click with that coach, Mm -hmm. but you know, get help because I can tell you one thing. I mean, Mark worked on Mark Grace worked on my swing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how, you know, you can have, I'm not saying that I know everything, but you can have all the knowledge in the world, but you cannot self-diagnose. I don't care who you are. You can't do it. Right. You got to have, you got to have someone, you know, you know, knowledgeable to, to be able to point you in the right direction. Um, I would say more from a, you know, aside, aside from that, um, you know, I would, I would challenge people again, pace of play is a big deal. I would say that it's one of the things that most highly correlates with our enjoyment is, you know, if, if, if we're waiting, you know, 10 minutes on every tee box and, you know, a round of golf is, is not going to be as fun, but if you can find a way to use the golf course to practice, you know, take, take sets of five balls. Um, and you know, if, if, if you start playing golf and, and you just get over a shot that, you know, can't quite figure out, drop a couple extra shots and just think of it like you're, you're using the greatest practice facility ever invented to, to work on your game mm-hmm. is the golf course. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the best place you can practice. Um, because again, it's, it is full it is as close as you can possibly get. <laughs> you can't get any better at creating representative practice. I mean, you think about other sports, I mean, baseball, we, we practice on a baseball field, mm-hmm. tennis, we practice on a tennis court, mm-hmm. you know, all these sports, soccer, we practice on a pitch, but you know, gosh, in golf, we, we, we practice on a, on a pasture, a completely open field right? Yep. with, it's you know, the it's biggest just, it's, dichotomy in our sport. We we it really, it, create it really a training is. ground that's not appropriate for playing the game. Absolutely, I, and and it's amazing how when you get players, and I would I would challenge them to listen to your previous podcast, your the the one you did on the pre post shot routine. Mm-hmm. If you just went out and played with that mindset that I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn something about my game today, mm-hmm. and I'm going to walk off the 18th green a smarter golfer than I was on the first that's the best thing you can do is come at it. Not from an outcome driven standpoint. It's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot my course. I'm going to shoot my record today. Mm -hmm. If you can approach golf from the standpoint of I'm coming out here to play, but I'm getting better as I'm playing. um, Then, then that's the best thing that I could tell the masses to do because I just, it, it bothers me when I see players just take one club and they just beat and beat and beat at the same target. And, and like you said, you know, there's, there's a time and place for block practice. And I'm not saying that there's no place for it because it is a necessary part of the development process. But sure. man, if, if you can, if you can hit your target a couple times in a row 
or even get within your dis- your acceptable dispersion a couple times in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, switch clubs, switch targets, or just find a way to get out on the golf course. Right. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, as a young golfer, I can remember growing up at a golf course where I did, there was no driving range to speak of. And I was so disappointed in that lack of facility to hit balls with repetition and practice. And I didn't realize what a blessing in disguise it was to develop as a golfer. And you speak of getting out on the golf course, and that's what we had to do to practice. We'd go out late in the day when there wasn't anyone out there, and we'd drop four or five balls in our favorite challenging spots, and we would figure out ways to hit the ball around that daggum tree that kept getting in our way when we hit our tee shot over to the right. It was always blocked out by this tree, whatever. And it was just an amazing way to learn the game. And then this little area where they they actually had about – you could hit a nine iron. They had a little small teeing ground where maybe two people at the same time could hit a few balls, and you had to shag your own, the shag bag thing. And I guess I was so lazy that was not as much fun or as – as easy as just going out on the golf course and playing. So that's what I did, 54 holes a day some days, and we would throw balls down in all these spots. And I didn't realize what a blessing it was. And I was always, man, I wish we had a driving range so I could hit balls. Thank goodness they didn't, you know. Yeah, you've got, you, you know, you've got to learn how to play. Yeah. You just got to go out and play. Yeah, oh, there's, that's there's it. There's really no, there's no, there's no shortcutting that. <laughs> Nope, you're right, Robbie, and that is the greatest advice that we've heard, I think, in a long time from from any golf professional is that, look, you have to spend time. The reps you need are playing golf holes and and introducing all those concepts of variability and challenge and spacing and and just learning about yourself and what you can and can't do. You know, I I talk about it. You're going to bump your head on on the limbo stick at some point. How low does that limbo stick need to be at that particular sport or skill (laughs) to where you're bumping your head you know you can't hit the green from 40 yards and that's where you are man start working from 30 and work your way back and the last thing i'll say to to your point again after your previous podcast which everyone needs to go listen to that Mm -hmm. um is that i would prefer if people when they go on the golf course if they kept score it's okay to keep score but you also have to keep track of things that you can control like okay Mm -hmm. you know did I commit to the shot I was trying to hit? Did I visualize and try to feel the shot? Um, and then did I execute what I felt? Um, if yes, then was the shot what I wanted? Um, yes or no. And then you can learn and adjust from that. But if not, then what was I thinking? What interrupted my thought process to be able to, so, such that I wasn't able to execute what I visualized and felt? Exactly. And so if you're constantly, like, again, if you're just constantly in that learning, that, that growth mindset, that learning space, if you go out and play, you will get better. And that's why people don't get better. They play tons of golf, but they don't get better because they, they're not in a learning space. They're in an outcome space. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like the outcome. So they choose anger and, and aggravation yes. instead of the <laughs> yes. awareness and the analytical yes. skills and asking questions and coming up with answers and altering. And those are the ideas shared in that previous podcast. And I thank you so much for that great compliment and, and recommendation. But I think golfers just don't have an idea of how to move themselves forward sometimes because they're lacking that mental exercise that takes place after the shot 
uh, yes. to come up with the, the awesomeness and the accomplishment, you know, that they're looking for. So, yeah, uh, that's fantastic. So thank you again, Robbie. You've been a great guest today, and I can't wait to have you back on very soon because oh, the ever-growing career and wisdoms of a young Robbie Fails from Carmel Golf Academy are truly a blessing, and, and we can't thank you enough for sharing your time with us, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, well, the best. Well, that's that's all for now, golfers. I tell you, you've had a great opportunity to listen to the one young and wise, Robbie Fails. And listen, reach out to Robbie. I know, Robbie, you're on all the social media platforms. You want to share those uh, sites with our listeners so they know how to reach out to you and say thanks for being yes. on the show and connect yep. with you? It's, um, my, my, my handle is at Rob Fails Golf. That's F-A-I-L-E-S. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, mostly on Instagram is where I do most of my damage. And on face, I have a Facebook page as well. So feel free to, if you have any questions or just want to talk golf, feel free to reach out. Absolutely. And I'm sure they will do that. Listen, thank you all again, listeners, for tuning in. If you feel like you would be a great advertiser for our show, we are certainly looking for great partnerships and sponsorships. It's a great way to reach a targeted audience. Uh, We have a very intelligent audience and certainly a very um, lucrative opportunity for you. If you want to get on board, please reach out to us at themesh.tv slash Info, you can send us uh, an email there or you can look on the website, info at themesh.tv, www.themesh.tv slash advertise for more information. Thanks again, listeners. It's been my pleasure to be with Robbie Fales today, one of the brightest minds in the game of golf, and share his information and knowledge with you. Reach out to him and say thanks, and I look forward to next time when we have some more great information for you golfers trying to become better. Stay in the fairway this year, golfers. It's a new year. Go out and make it a good one, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.